0: Welcome to the Tuesday morning, Monday night football review edition of Unexpected Points, America's favorite analytics podcast. And America just loves, loves the analytics, right? Troy loves the analytics. You can hear it in his voice uh, when when he's talking about it on the broadcast. I'll have a comment from uh, one of the biggest sports commentators in America, Bill Simmons, on the analytics A lot of analytics talk Uh, will come eventually with some decisions here and try to keep it rational. Try not to go, you know, too far in either direction. Try not to be pounding the table this way or that way. Maybe frame things a little bit better than we can get in the cesspool that is known as social media and Twitter discussing these things. Um, What we'll also talk about uh, are the advanced stats that you may have missed the context on for this game And a big part will be weighing the actual impact of these different plays. I think the big plays that we saw in this game, some of the biggest were the penalties that happened in this game, a couple on both sides. And we can get an idea of how big of an impact those are. But when we come into the – you know, the, the foundation of football analytics, which is expected points added. When we have that, we can figure out the exact point amount that plays are worth that you start with and that you end with on a particular play. So, you know, how much that play was worth. We can get better context for how big of a deal was the strip sack that got turned into a roughing the passer, the Chris Jones play. How big of a deal was the hold on the missed field goal, Later on, which extended the drive for the Chiefs, Uh, we can get exact numbers for that and then we can compare it to other big plays and we can start to get better context on what we're looking at here. And I'm going to bring it in in a a conversation about whether we should expand instant replay on that, which, of course, is another topic that social media. Let's not talk about too much there. People have some crazy opinions there. But anyone anyway, let's get to the game here. The Raiders came and visited Kansas City. Thank thank the Lord. We had a good island game here. We hadn't had a great one on Monday or Thursday night in a while. And spoiler alert for the preview for this Thursday night game, it's going to be Bears Commanders, Justin Fields versus uh, Carson Wentz. So maybe not, you know, uh, viewership may be a little bit light on Friday morning when I review that game. But let's get to this one because this was a great one with the Chiefs and Raiders. And the Chiefs continue to own the Raiders. Patrick Mahomes continues to own the Raiders. And in this night, uh, Travis Kelsey also gets partial ownership of the Raiders. From the one, Mahomes, end zone. He's got another four on the night. Travis Kelsey yet again. Yes, that's four touchdowns for Travis Kelsey in this game. Every touchdown that the Chiefs scored. And pretty crazy stat line here. For Kelsey, it is seven catches and only 25 yards in this game. Maybe that flies a little bit under the radar how often Mahomes was using Marquez Valdez-Scantling was using Juju Juju Smith-Schuster to a degree, was using Nicole Hardman, was using Sky Moore, get into the action at the end of the game there a couple of times, was using those guys and not just Kelsey to gain all the yards. Because remember, Kelsey was right up there with the yardage leaders uh, these last few seasons. I think he has more yards, uh, receiving yards than anyone else in the NFL over the course of the last four years. So not the yards from him, only 25 yards, but four touchdowns on those seven catches. And those touchdowns, two of them came from the one-yard line, including that last touchdown. Another came from the four-yard line, and the last one came from the eight-yard line. So he was doing work, doing work in the green zone. We got the red zone, we got the green zone. Inside the 10-yard line, doing work there. Okay, let's get to the big headline numbers. The Chiefs were seven-point favorites in this game. So pretty significant favorites, although not over the top. The Raiders are, you know, a little frisky. I know the record hadn't been great. They finally got their first victory in week four. Now they're to one and four after this game, but they're definitely a much more frisky team than that one and four record. Kansas city was a seven point favorite. They win by a point 30 to 29 adjusted score. I wish the adjusted score was a little bit more interesting It's 28 to 26 here. In fact, I had a feeling, although I hadn't calculated it at that point that the adjusted score was going to lean Kansas city, no matter what happened on that final drive. So if the Raiders would have gotten that, let's say Devontae Adams would have been able to get both feet in and not bobble the ball, they get, you know, Daniel Carlson can kick the hell out of the ball and say he kicks it and they win, they win the game. I was, you know, going back and forth. I was a little ambivalent on whether or not I should troll Kansas City Chiefs fans again with my adjusted score on this one. Probably wasn't going to do it since I already hit that note a couple weeks back when their adjusted score was much better against uh, the Colts. But at least that possibility was out there to make some more friends uh, in Chiefs' kingdom. The playoff numbers after this game, I mean, not a huge upswing for or downswing for either team because this was an expected result because they were seven-point favorites, which means you win about 80% of the time anyway. um, The Chiefs are up to 91% to make the playoffs, 87% for the division. So I think that is really the key number. Remember, this was supposed to be a killer, an absolute killer division, right? When you have the Chargers in there, when you have... Uh, the Broncos in there, and then you have the Raiders in there. This is supposed to be a killer, killer, killer division. Um, actually, I'm sorry. I have the wrong number there. 74% to win the division, but still very, very strong number there to win the division versus the rest of those teams this early in the season. If you look at the rest of the teams, there's 16% for the Chargers, and the Broncos now are down to 7%, so basically nothing. So still, fully in command. And if you compare that even to the Bills, I mean, the Bills are 81% to win the division versus 74% for the Chiefs. So not so far behind in a much more competitive division while Miami, you know, Miami is making some noise there. The Raiders are down to 18% to win the, I'm sorry, to make the playoffs 3% for the division. So the division is pretty much out. Playoffs, still roughly a one in five chance. So there's still a chance. We'll throw up that um, Dumb and Dumber meme. There's still a chance there for the Raiders. So I have my numbers of the game or number of the game that I'm trying to bring into play here on these different games. Um, For this one, I'm going to do two numbers of the game. And this is going to go into like the power, the power of analytics. You know, maybe like I need like that IBM Watson or something uh, graphic here for this one. Because what it's going to show is we can say... Time remaining, down, distance, your field position. We can say how many points you expect to score on a particular drive. Now, we can be negative even for the offense because it's more expected than not. Let's say on a third and 23 that you're going to have to point the, punt the ball away and your opponent will get the next score first. So we can, we can calculate all this stuff. So we can figure out exactly how much a play was worth. And we can also calculate any scenario that didn't happen how much it would have been worth. And the two scenarios that did not happen, that I could, that I calculated out how much it would have been worth, are the two penalties. So my numbers of the game are 6.8 and 6.5. And those are the expected points swings. Just think about it as the point swings. We're almost talking about touchdown swings here for those two penalties that we have in here. The 6.8 represents the difference between The Chiefs getting a strip sack and having the ball on the Raiders 42-yard line versus the Raiders getting the penalty and then having the ball on the Kansas City 40-yard line. It's about 6.8 points there. The 6.5 points represents the difference between Kansas City missing the field goal, the Raiders getting the ball I forget where it was. It was on the thirty-something yard line versus Kansas City getting that five-yard penalty, uh, and then having the ball within the the Raiders right around the Raiders' twenty-yard line. So that difference is six point five points. So they're almost equivalent. Those two. Now I think that I think that the the holding call was actually legit. If you look at the play it's really hard to swallow. And that's why you should really tell these players, like be aware of the circumstance, like be aware of the fact that there is a automatic first down attached to this type of penalty. Because if you look at the Raiders player, he does engage and then almost move backwards. Like why would you be engaging moving backwards if you weren't holding and then trying to pull the blocker forward to create a crease for someone else to come in and block the field goal. So I do think it was legit. Um, But still a huge penalty, which didn't get nearly the hype of the other penalty. And and again, to put this in context of what this play means versus a play that's a little bit more intuitive to think about, the Devontae Adams fourth and one touchdown that came early in the game, 58-yard touchdown on fourth and one is worth 7.1 points. So these plays, 6.8, 6.5 versus 7.1, worth almost as much. As a 58 yard touchdown on fourth and one. In other words, massive plays, massive plays. That was the biggest play of the game, that Adams touchdown. Uh, the other Adams touchdown, 5.8 expected points. So some big, big plays from Adams there. Okay, what else do we need to know about this game? Why maybe the adjusted score was two points? It does seem a little close versus I thought Kansas City was a, was a bit more dominant in this game. Uh, only 10 drives each. So both teams, I think, were good offensively, but they didn't have the ball enough to get an elevated, you know, into the 30s on their adjusted score. They had equal total efficiency rates, but the Raiders were 97th percentile rushing the ball in their efficiency, 50th percentile passing the ball. The Chiefs were only 27th percentile rushing the ball and 82nd percentile passing. So, but they're 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 the same overall with their total efficiency. So that gives you a little bit of hint in like the power of passing the ball. The Raiders had to be 97th percentile and 50th. The Chiefs were 82nd and 27th. So lower in both, but it's flipped. The Chiefs had the better passing game, the Raiders had the better rushing game. Well, even having that better rushing game, it doesn't matter. Um, you're equal. You're gonna have equal total efficiency because passing is that much more powerful relative to rushing. And in this game, we we give Andy Reid a lot of grief about his fourth down decisions, his clock management, his game management, and I think it's all justified. At the same time, one thing he does, and this is something that he gets grief from the football guys about, uh, Joe Buck was mentioning over and over again about, you know, when Kansas City can get that run game going in addition to the passing game, they're so tough to stop, you know, sometimes they don't stick with it, so on and so forth. I mean, this game, Chiefs, 15% over expectation in how much they're passing the ball. 70% pass rate versus 57 for the Raiders, who were 7% under expectation. Um, while Andy Reid is giving away win probability in fourth downs, giving away win probability a lot of the time in clock management, it seems like an easy fix that we should get done. At the same time, it's probably... Over uh, is probably completely mitigated, if not more than mitigated by the fact that he is so good at designing plays and then passing the ball a lot. Lean into that strength. There probably is some coach out there who would be running it more, even with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and all that. There's someone out there who would be doing it. At least Andy Reid is not doing that. And he's helping the Chiefs be a little bit better because of that week in and week out. Um, I thought both quarterbacks were really good in this game because they were under pressure, 40% pressure rate for both quarterbacks, 25% fast pressure rate, which means coming in 2.5 or less seconds there. That's good. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was sacked a few times this game. You don't see that often. Not only sometimes with pressure, it's not just the one pressure. If you get a single pressure, a single player getting a pressure you're not going to get a sack against someone like Patrick Mahomes, but they had a good job of not only Max Crosby coming out very strong at the beginning, um, kind of leveled off a bit, but he had two sacks, four pressures, but also bringing pressure with Chandler Jones and then getting some interior pressure there. Mahomes started to figure it out later. The offensive line started to figure it out later, but the fact that you can sack Mahomes a few times, that's, that's significant. Does not happen a lot. One of the lowest sack rates in the NFL. And on the other side, Chris Jones had five pressures and a hit that counted. And, of course, he had the controversial strip sack that did not end up counting. Uh, some other big things to think about in this game, which are pretty interesting, is that big impactful plays. The two defensive pass interference calls against the Chiefs on Devontae Adams, where he was being face guarded and in the underthrows, that was 2.6 expected points in three, so 5.6 total. So, not again, big big plays there Um, and Kansas city also missed a field goal 3.8 that they lost on that so we had some big swinging plays going each direction roughly ends up equaling out in the end um, as far as the adjusted score but it's something to think about and some of the internals for the Raiders were actually better than the Chiefs offensively they had about equal efficiency but the Raiders on a play-by-play basis were more successful uh, at a higher rate and they averaged 6.8 yards per play versus only 5.3 for the chiefs. Now the chiefs boost their efficiency by being better on third down, converting 7 of 12 on third down versus 5 of 12 for the raiders. Um and they also got a little bit of an advantage in penalties, although that's that's weird to say because of the the huge huge penalty that on Chris Jones that everyone would have, would have thought about, but the raiders had 99 yards of penalty, only 72 yards of penalties for the Chiefs, uh, let's talk about positives before we get into all the other stuff. Josh Jacobs, uh, he was just killing everybody. 21 carries, 154 yards, and a touchdown, six broken tackles. Uh, I do want to address something quickly about the the tackle, the broken tackle discourse. This is nerd talk here, okay? You, you guys can dunk on me for this, I'll admit. But there sometimes broken tackles can be overvalued because it's not just the, breaking the tackle or, in and of itself or laying a hit on someone in and of itself yeah maybe there's like a body blows argument for what will happen in the future and it'll all eventually pay off and guys will be afraid to make tackles later and you're you're causing momentum and you're pumping things up that's great but like the point of breaking a tackle the like literal on that play point of breaking the tackle is to gain more yards after what would have been a tackle, right? And sometimes you have guys who break a ton of tackles. I'm trying to think of like Trent Richardson was a big tackle breaker in the past. The problem was he wasn't gaining any yards afterwards. He would break two or three tackles and then gain an extra yard while he's getting tackled by someone else. So you want to gain extra yards on this. So just a slight thing I noticed in this game is, Josh Jacobs had a couple back-to-back runs, one where he broke a tackle and then got maybe another extra 10 yards afterwards, and then another where he ran over Justin Reed and everyone was ooing and awing about it. Yet for me, you know, being the nerd that I am, I was thinking to myself, well, you know, Justin Reed did tackle him. I know I know he got red over, but he did tackle him. So in some ways, you know, avoiding the tackle can be more beneficial than just running through someone and then having them trip you down afterwards but again that's nerd talk go ahead dunk on me i get it it's fun to watch definitely fun to watch but it's one thing to think about when we're thinking about broken tackles and how impressive they look versus avoiding tackles is the point is still to, the ultimate point is still to gain yards and that's what we care about but jacobs did a great job in this game again 154 yards on 21 carries you can't really fault him for that in this particular game um, Devontae Adams is a other big performer, only three catches on seven targets, but he had 121 yards, two touchdowns and those two big defensive pass interference calls, which again, added almost six points, six expected points. Those two different pass interference calls. The thing that we're going to be hearing about though, unfortunately for Devonte, coming out of this game is not going to be the great work that he did with the uh on the field but what happened when he was walking out of the field and unfortunately for him uh this this little incident that he had here coming off of the field i am put incident in quotes there where he pushed over a they say cameraman he's holding a boom mic someone who's just with a bunch of equipment who is crossing right in front of adams i'm not going to be an apologist for adams here um so maybe there's some confusion there uh, obviously he's upset coming out of the game. He pushes him down. I've seen some people say, is he going to get suspended? Is he going to get fined? Oh, he's going to get fined. His his uh, his wallet will be lightened significantly uh, for this. If he's going to be suspended, even as someone who is kind of, I don't know, allergic to bullying type of behavior and very anti that type of behavior, and maybe you could even pose this as being a little bit of poor, poor poor sportsmanship slash bullying for Devontae Adams. I guess my take is yeah, let's lighten his wallet and and no fine. And no uh game missed on this one. Maybe it's not the biggest deal with the Raiders, kind of out of real playoff hopes after this, but we're talking about 17 games, is all these guys have in one season of play. Yeah, I'd probably be willing to let it slide. Let it slide. Um, you know. Get, 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 get your apologies on and big fine. I mean, we're talking, you know, we're going to be 10K, 20K, 25K, 50K, 100K. I don't know what it'll be. But I know you guys think, oh, that doesn't matter. Like these guys make millions of dollars. That's true. Uh, it doesn't hurt them that much. But trust me, it hurts anyone to lose, you know, 50K or something like that. Uh, that's going to sting a little bit. We'll see what the NFL does for this. It's another one of situations, too, where, you know, he pushes down this guy in the hall – where nobody sees it, and there's like 0% chance he's getting suspended. (laughs) But the fact that it happened right there, where not only the cameras caught it, the actual broadcast caught it, but there were, you know, a million citizen journalists out there with their phones out who also caught this. So it would have been all over the place, even if it was not part of the broadcast. Uh, Okay, let's get into the, the, the Chris Jones play. One one interesting thing on this is that t- Troy Aikman has a nice take the dresses off comment on this. And we were so enraged by this and so much happened in the game that like on a normal game, I feel like he would have gotten some, you know, social justice warrior type of grief online for take the dresses off. I actually saw there's a clip of um, an old play uh, i think it was jack lambert famous uh middle linebacker for uh hall of fame middle linebacker for the pittsburgh steelers who said the same thing way way back in the day and god back then they were really laying the hammer on people but troy props to troy for for slipping out on that one maybe it'll come up later later this week um and the Devonte adams thing also helps troy slide on this one but let's let's go to the exact play because i think you really have to almost hear not only what was being said about it but the crowd reaction to really get into how this impacted the game on both sides, I would say, not just in this play, but what happened thereafter with the referees. Seven, obviously, he missed ninety-five, but that out clearly. It's definitely out, and you can hear the crowd. I don't blame the crowd at all. I don't. I don't either, and I can only imagine how Chiefs fans are reacting at home because you see Andy Reid. Yeah, Andy is not happy. Supposedly had a talking to. Um, I'd love to hear Andy Reid like yelling at the refs because he famously does not curse. He's not c- cursed, so I don't know what he's doing. He's like, "Gosh darn it, Carl! Gosh darn it, Carl! That's malarkey!" Um, or so, or something to that effect. Because he's he's like, "Doohickey, darn!" Oh sort of thing when he's talking to, to the ref after. So he had a talking to him. We saw the play for those who saw it, Chris Jones had a strip sack and he did use his left hand to try to lower the body weight. I mean, he smushed him. Don't get me wrong. Car smushed. It was a type of play where remember this was all instituted after 2017 when Aaron Rodgers got smushed and broke his collarbone and then 2017 ratings were down, everyone thought the NFL was dead, quarterback play was way down. It was the worst efficiency year for passing. It just dropped off a cliff that year, although it rebounded in 2018 with Mahomes and everyone else coming in, but the NFL was very concerned about quarterback safety because of what happened to Rodgers. So they instituted this body weight play to help prevent guys, mostly the collarbone injury happening on that on that type of play. And what came up after this, I saw some people talking about instant replay in this. And it'll be interesting. You should listen to what Chris Jones had to say afterwards, because he sounds like he's on the instant replay bandwagon here for these types of judgment calls. From, from the ref point of view, he probably looked like that initially. But, you know, and when you look at the replay, it's a whole different thing. So I think now uh, to evolve roughing the passer and protecting the quarterback is essentially what we're doing. In this league, we got to be able to look at roughing the passers in the booth. You, 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 you take a look at the uh, Grady Jarrett situation. I was going ask you about it. Did you see that one from yesterday? Of course. It's all over Twitter. And, 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 and what type of situation that was in the game, that was a third down stop also. And then when you take that in initiative, if we're able to view it in the booth and the referees can get a second look because it's happening so fast, maybe we can change that. Yeah, so he is saying, take a look at the booth on these types of plays. And I think for this type of play, well, actually, let, let, let me back up. I, I'm pro instant replay. I know some people don't like instant replay. It slows down the action. They're, they're, they're more upset if there's an instant replay and the call is not what they wanted it to be than a bad call without instant replay a lot of times so there's a disconnect there like a, there's a psychological disconnect where people are more upset by bad instant replay than they are by equally bad just straight up officiating um, and that doesn't really make sense right if we're if we're trying to maximize correct calls and again these plays that we talked about here there's a 6.8 epa play here it's a massive play so if you can't review massive plays i think that's also a problem um Defensive pass interference. I mean, they have exact rules around these sorts of things. And reviewing those, you know, that went, people are all over the place on that one. You know, that was opened up and then it became closed very quickly. So maybe a similar sort of thing could happen here. Um, Even the offensive, even the hold, the defensive hold on the field goal, which I believe was legitimate call, massive play, 6.5 expected points, swing on that one. Should you be able to review that? I think if you limit the number of reviews, why don't we give coaches opportunities to review the most impactful plays of the game? And ones that have rules like this roughing the passer, the rule on the body weight is you have to make an effort to brace yourself and not come down fully. Uh, Jones put his left arm on the ground to do exactly that. He didn't just completely splash with his arms out wide and doing it. Would it have been reversed on instant replay? I don't know. Would people have been even more upset if it wasn't reversed and there was instant replay? Possibly. But people were pretty upset (laughs) generally on this one. And how loud the crowd was, I actually think it affected officiating going forward. I mean, I joked a little bit about how when they threw the intentional grounding on Carr to start the second half, which I believe was an intentional grounding, I I think they should be much more strict on those types of plays where they shouldn't just look at receiver in the area. They should look at whether or not it was like really intending to complete a pass or whether they were just intending to, to throw it into the ground. And they threw a very late flag after all conferencing on that one against Carr. And then I made the joke after that that these refs are smart because they want to see their families again. Like, they don't want to get, they don't want to get, uh, killed by the Kansas City fans. And then, even later in that one, there was, after the punt, there seemed to be a penalty. I guess it was a block in the back. And very meekly, uh, the, the head ref on the mic was like, Oh, no, we're, we're not, we're, we're, we're not calling that. Sorry. No, no foul, you know. And then, and then later on the next draft, now I think this is could be unrelated. We might be reading into it a little bit more. Everyone pointed out the fact that on the touchdown to Kelsey, to end the Kansas city drive. And I I joked before this on Twitter, I joked about the fact that Kansas city just needs to be committing fouls left and right on this drive to test the refs that Max Crosby was being egregiously held on the play. He was being held for sure. Egregious. I don't know. Um, It's tough on those ones where the quarterback breaks the pocket and gets outside that they didn't call anything on that play. So maybe there was even some effect there. I don't think there was effect on the holding later on the field goal try because I think that was a legitimate call, but yeah. There's a lot of different effects here, like give the refs a chance to correct their mistakes if they make mistakes, especially because these plays are just so, so, so impactful. That was part of the reasoning, though, for the defensive pass interference, and, you know, that didn't work out so well. Okay, before we get into decision time, decision discourse, all that sort of stuff, let me hit some ads here, and then we're going to get into the decision stuff, Uh, the nerd shit, as I like to call it. And first we're going to talk DraftKings. NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays right now for every leg you add You can boost your winnings up to 100% with bigger payouts than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Also, Unexpected Points is sponsored by... Western and Southern Financial Group, while you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying a first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance investments and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started, westernandsouthern.com. Also, last thing here, real quick, PFF app, get it, fantasy football advice, my rankings. Start sit, uh, all the different PFF advanced stats feeding into our projections. Get it, PFF app now available on your app store. All right, let's get let's wait into let's Let's put the hazmat suit on. Let's put let's put our hazmat suit on, get our gloves on, make sure everything we might even need earplugs sometimes. We're going into we're getting into analytics discourse, decision discourse. We're gonna do it, guys, and I think. No, nothing typifies this more maybe. And I thought it was a classic, a banger from uh, NFL commentator and sports commentator, pop culture commentator, Bill Simmons here, an absolute banger uh, from, from his Twitter account here saying, in 2022, an NFL head coach would jump out a fourth floor window because analytics say it's faster than taking the stairs, that's, that's a banger there, um, and pretty good. Like he's not getting dunked on. People are agreeing it. The the he's getting applauded for, for this one. Um, let me see, 4,400, 4, no thirty four hundred retweets to only four hundred quote tweets, and those four hundred quote tweets are probably mostly agreeing with him. So, props, Bill. You get you got a banger here that's getting shared uh, across the the way. And I'm gonna presume this went up. After the Josh McDaniel's decision to go for um to go for two rather than tie the game and at that point in time, when they're doing it, there is four twenty seven left so there's a lot of time left on the clock and then we'll be I guess before that Kansas City also went for two and failed where they could have gone for one and um and been up by eight. So they went for two, and then instead were only up by seven. Both of those decisions, according to the quote-unquote analytics, and I know that Troy, Troy, you know, always, Troy's always getting us in trouble on these broadcasts. I know Troy said that the analytics, the the mythical analytic bot, was telling, was whispering in Josh McDaniel's ear and saying, you got to go for two. You got to. Um, and do it. And, and then he followed that, uh, like he doesn't have agency, right? That he just followed what the analytics bot was telling him, but the Ben Baldwin bot for whatever that's worth, if you believe in bots, I put my bot versus your bot versus Ben Baldwin's bot. Um, he had basically no win probability game for Kansas city going for it. And I know it's a quote unquote two possession game if you get it up to nine points, but By keeping it at eight points, you are adding the fact that your opponent needs a two-point conversion, which is, you know, essentially a 50-50 shot, maybe a little bit better than a 50-50 shot. So you're adding that to the equation. It's not just as simple as score, get the two-point conversion, and then go to overtime, right? Um, So it's not not a gimme there. A lot of people like that, though, because I guess there's something more like manly about getting that two-possession game versus one-possession game. So people seem to like that, Uh, but that was a coin flip at best even if you assume the Chiefs are really, really good at converting the two-point conversion, which uh, the numbers do. Now, for the Raiders, the Ben Baldwin bot, the BBB, uh, the B-cubed, has the win probability being higher for kicking the extra point. And generally, these types of plays where you go for two to be up by one, there's a lot of time left here, 427 left. Uh, but generally, those are plays where if you get it, it's really good if it's very, very close to the end of the game because you are motivating the other team, if you get it, to go for it on fourth downs until they're in field goal range, where that wouldn't necessarily be the case. They might just you know, punt the ball away or let the clock run out or be more conservative with their play calls, all that sort of stuff. So that's why you don't want to do it too early and you know, four minutes and 27 seconds left, that's really, really early. So I don't know what numbers Troy is looking at for that one, but um, my intuition would have not been for that. And the Ben Baldwin bot is not going for that. So that comes to my point that I want to make with Troy, just giving a thumbs up or thumbs down by quote unquote analytics on all these different plays. We need to have a better way of communicating. And it's not that hard. It's like an extra sentence or something from announcers on these types of plays to say, You know, the numbers very slightly lean in one direction, but it's basically a coin flip. And that's what these two plays were. Basically a coin flip. There's no way your numbers could have told the Raiders that this was a must-go-for-two situation with four minutes and 27 seconds left. No way. No numbers out there exist. They do not exist. That would tell you that. So if you're reading something, and you say you get a 0.1, 0.2, 0.3 win probability gain. And the the, the go-for-two ones, are, the win probability gains and losses are always very, very small. Um, that's not something to just say. Analytics said, go for it. McDaniels is going for vibes, okay, on this one. I, I talked to Daniel Stern pretty extensively a couple of combines ago. Daniel Stern is... He's the nerd. He's like the coaching nerd for the Baltimore Ravens. He sits right next to Greg Roman in the booth. There was an article about him when the Ravens were having their vast success in 2019 with all the fourth down tries. I talked to him and he was kind of relaying to me what, how the discussions go when he's talking to, when he's talking to Harbaugh. Uh, first of all, he's just funny. Like, f- amazingly like high energy, brilliant, uh funny guy, funny guy with a lot of Like, like incredibly sharp. We had, we, we talked. we were talking um at the PFF party in 2020, I guess um, at the combine for like half an hour. I was just picking his brain about whether or not, cause he's, he's one of these believers that coaches add value to forth to like decisions. And I was kind of playing devil's advocate most of the time talking to him, but, Anyway, the way that he is communicating to Harbaugh and the way he's doing that is he's saying, you know, I'll do my Daniel Stern impersonation. He's like Harbs. um, Okay. If we get, this is like on third down or something. Okay. If we get within three, then it's a plus two, you know, win probability to do this, blah, blah, blah. He's like giving him a little bit more information. So not that Troy has to emulate exactly what's being said there, but if it's a you know, if he, if if Stern, let's say Stern was talking to or whoever's talking to McDaniel's on this this two point conversion, let's say even the quote unquote analytics say to go for it, they'd be telling him, um, you know, okay, Josh, this is basically like a flip, coach. They probably say coach. they're probably called Josh, coach. Uh, it's basically a coin flip, slight advantage to you know, tiny point point two, uh, go for point two, go for basically coin flip. And at that point, like this is. McDaniel's, you know, making this decision on what he believes, what his vibes are, how he's feeling about the game, whether or not he wants to put the team in that situation or not, how he thinks Andy Reid will react to that situation. And in some ways, you know, the game theory aspect of it, if you can read that correctly, is more important in these types of situations than the numbers. Now, if it's a go for two down eight, which we've kind of hit uh, ad nauseum, something that the... The uh, the Falcons did near the end of the game. Yeah, yeah, that's a math one. There's no vibes. There's no, like, game theory. There's no whatever. You, you're going for that one. You're doing the two, down eight. This one, a lot more factors can go into it because, like, one of the major inputs in these models is what is the win probability if you miss, if you don't get it? And that could be affected by how the other coach will react. And if we look at this particular play, um... When the Raiders didn't get it, Andy Reid on the other side, while he can be aggressive sometimes closing out games on fourth downs, other times he cannot be that aggressive. And you look at the next possession for the Chiefs, it was five plays, 23 yards, and then they punt the ball away. What they did was first play was kind of like a swing pass out to Sky Moore for eight yards. Second play was a running play for eight yards. They get a first down. Third play, another swing pass out to Sky Moore for seven yards. Fourth play, CEH, zero gain. Fifth play, they blitz. He throws it deep to uh, Hardman. They don't get it. Fourth and three at the Vegas 46-yard line, which is an obvious go-for-it situation, right, by the numbers. This is another one where it's not game three. It's not vibes. It's you have a great offense. You go for it in this situation. This is a massive game. This is a 6% win probability game. This is a big one. Okay, and even if you change the assumptions, you're not going to get that down to zero no matter what. So this is like should be framed a lot differently than the Josh McDaniels discussion. You know, that was just a weak drive from Kansas City. They were up a point and maybe from a game theory aspect, if you knew they were never going to throw the ball more than at the line of scrimmage or run the ball until they had to try on fourth and three to convert. And you knew that Andy Reid was not going to go for it unless it was fourth and inches or fourth and one in this situation. That's good knowledge to have to say, you know, the downside on going for two for the Raiders and being down a point is lower than what you might expect because we're playing against a more conservative team on the other side of things. So that is also something to consider. But anyway, there's just a lot more talk that has to be made. And I think announcers have to be good about this. Maybe get some nerds in the booth or nerds. You can consult, like you consult the officiating specialist, like consult the nerd specialist. I'm available if you need me um, to talk this through a little bit more than just saying analytics said yes. And that's why they did it. And then, you know, the Bill Simmons of the world can tell us that the analytics are all at fault for, for what happened here. The other part, and I know, I can't believe we're, we're still talking this. I know. The other part of the analytics discussion, um, i gonna throw another banger up here for a, a tweet that came out. And it's getting dunked on a lot by nerds. And you know, I'm anti-dunk, so I'm not going to dunk on this. But I think there's a good discussion to, to have around it is, there's another uh, tweet here by Cameron Soren. Soren, I want to say, uh, seems like a fine dude, although he's been dunked on a few times before. We see the 26 quote tweets, the two retweets here. Um, he's, he's like a, he's like a football guy guy though. So he says here, we could fix all football analytics in an instant, just like we do in finance, law, medicine, et cetera, make the decision, but now you get fired for being wrong. Now, most people are dunking on this because of the absurdity of thinking that if you're ever wrong on any decision in finance, law, or medicine, you're automatically fired. Uh, yeah, that's not really how it works. (laughs) You know, in finance, if, you, if you're like managing a portfolio of stocks and you say, let's buy this stock and it doesn't work out, you don't just fire yourself. You know, you're taking a bunch of risk reward chances and you're hoping in the end they'll work out. And guess what? Using, you know, analytics probably helps for that. Uh, same thing for even law, even for medicine. I mean, you're trying to do the best you can. You don't have 100% success rates on every surgery, uh, saving every patient, no matter how dire the circumstances may be, right? But anyway, so people are focusing on that because it's just like so logically off. But I think the important part with this statement, and this really plays into even the Bill Simmons quote earlier, or just the way that it's framed generally, is that this is only looking at like one half of the the decision, right? This is saying that if you make the wrong decision, he's only talking about if you make the decision to go for it, or if you make the decision to go for two. He's not saying if you make the decision... To do the traditional thing, then you should be fired for being wrong. Like there's two sides of this. Like Andy Reid not going for it on fourth and three at the end of this game. If Devontae Adams makes that catch and the Raiders kick the field goal, well, would he put that in the same bucket as Andy Reid made a decision and was wrong and should be fired for it? No, he wouldn't because he could make any number of excuses for why it happened. The defense didn't, the defense failed, everything else happened. Whereas when you do the aggressive "quote unquote" analytics thing, the result that you're getting, the feedback that you're getting, is immediate, obvious, and measurable. If you go for three and you don't make it, you go for four, three, you don't make it. Boom! People can say that was the wrong decision immediately. If you kick the ball, people can't say whether or not it was the wrong decision immediately, and people have a lot more time between the end result because ultimately. You're going to say it was the wrong decision or not based upon the end result of the game. So if it's like a first quarter decision and you don't go for it, no one's going to be able to definitively say that was the wrong thing to do until you get to the very end of the game. They might not even remember what happened earlier in the game. Whereas if you don't get it, if you go for it and you don't get it, then people are going to immediately point to that as you made a mistake. It was wrong. So again, this is just like a very common way of viewing this, which is incorrect, is that there are two sides to this. Two sides to every decision. You can be wrong not following the analytical advice too. So if you're advocating that people need to have harsh penalties or be lambasted, which they are, um, if they take the analytics, the numbers route, then again, you need to also have this be the equilibrium here. And it needs to be also on the other side of the equation. And that's kind of what this, this quote is revealing more than anything else, more than the misunderstanding of how... Um being fired and works in all these different fields of, uh, of work. Okay. Do I have anything else on this game here? Um, No, that's, that's basically it for this, for this Kansas city game. I already gave you all the playoff probabilities and everything else here. I hope this discourse, we can, we can take our hazmat suits back off, um, get out of the analytics talk discourse Uh, But hopefully, we're getting a little bit smarter here and not paying too much attention to what we're seeing on social media. A couple other quick things, though, that I wanted to hit. Well, actually, one quick thing that I wanted to hit before we get into the Thursday night football preview, and that is the new concussion protocols. I talked about it a little bit, but it's pretty amazing that we already had, you know, so quickly an instant of like the new protocols being put to the test. And for those who had seen it, you know, Teddy Bridgewater knocked out of the game here. We have a video that's being shared by a, I don't know, local TV station, WSVN seven sports of the incident here. And they say in the tweet text that there's no evidence of an on-field stumble. And, you know, what's going on here. He gives the thumbs up symbol twice. Why is he being taken out of the game? I kind of knew there was a possibility for this. It's like the backlash to the backlash where if you say that you're out of the game, no matter what, and you're being conservative about it. I mean, imagine if this happened in this first play of the game, right? Imagine this happened in a playoff game in the Super Bowl. something like this happens. Um, Then we're going to have the outrage to the outrage. I'm not sure 100% if Teddy wasn't rocked on this one. He did have his arms in kind of a weird position when he first rolled over. Maybe that was part of what the spotter was seeing, but it's a tough one to really say you're going to keep a guy out of the entire game. Going to their you know rookie seventh round quarterback Skylar Thompson after this, and I also thought if if any of you guys had a chance to hear it, there was a pretty illuminating discussion on ESPN Daily. I guess more than a week ago, because it was with Alex Smith is talking to Pablo Torre, the host there. And they were talking about his concussion experiences. Remember he was replaced by um, Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco after suffering a concussion and going out. But he also talked about a time in Kansas city where he was sliding. Both of these instances were, you know, he's like sliding and, and we need to work on the slide also in the NFL so these guys' heads don't hit the ground. So he was sliding. He was rocked. His head went back, hit the ground. And he says he was he was a little bit dinged up. And what I thought was interesting about the discussion is he was dinged up and then he went back in because he passed all the concussions tests. And then he was definitely rocked on the second one. And he still passed all the concussion tests after that. But he didn't go back in, all those sorts of stuff. But I thought was interesting about the first discussion that he had on the first play is that... Pablo, the host, was pushing him a little bit to say, even though you had a concussion on this first play, and he was like, he didn't ever say I had a concussion. So I do think there is this kind of grayish sort of area where, not really to bell rung sort of status, but, you know, you you get rocked a little bit. I mean, you you lose your, your, your balance a little bit, but it might not be at the concussion sort of threshold. And that's what may have been happened a little bit. to Teddy here is that he was a little bit rocked. You can see he's a little bit slow on this one. Does that mean concussion? I don't know. Uh, I mean, my, I I get dizzy sometimes I get lightheaded if I just get up too quickly after, (laughs) after being on the computer for, for too long, I'm not a world-class athlete, of course, but, um, there is like nuance here. And that's why I think that we have to have the doctors – I don't like when there's just set hard rules like this when you and you don't allow any discretion on the part of the doctors. I agree that maybe too much discretion they had without the reexamination and everything else with, with Tua, but we need to allow them to have some discretion for the experts here. Just make sure that they're incentivized properly – um, and then allow them to have that discretion. And then we have to have a certain degree of trust because let's face it, the TUA discussion, the TUA investigation, no one, whether the NFLPA or the NFL, found that anything was wrong that was done as part of it, even though they kind of smeared this guy initially with some anonymous quotes about the fact that he had you know, improperly done the protocols. It doesn't seem like there was any improper work there with the protocols. Uh, the protocols need some work. I like it if there is true gross motor instability to take these guys out of the game, but on these situations like Teddy Bridgewater, it gets much, much more complicated. And if you think it's complicated here, it's going to get extremely complicated. If this happens in a playoff game or in a critical week, you know, 18 game, something like that uh, this season. All right. Let's uh, talk about hazmat suits. Let's put another hazmat suit on to talk about this Thursday night game and I think this could be better than some people think. I don't want to lean into, again, what's going to be the common theme here is everyone trying to dunk on how bad this game is because it is, you know, Washington, the commanders and Carson Wentz at the Chicago bears. It'll probably do ratings. You'd be surprised how well, if you have successfully historical teams, even if they stink now, how well the fan base sticks around, you know, the, The old Washington Redskins were a pretty solid team for a couple of decades there. And the Bears obviously had some solid run in the 80s and even uh, after that. So it's a one point. Well, he made all the way to the Super Bowl, right? Um, Against Peyton Manning. So it's a one point favorite for Chicago. That doesn't mean a whole lot. in this game is a 38 over under. So both teams have an implied total under 20. 19 and a half for the Bears. 18 and a half for the Commanders. According to my numbers, I mean, maybe you could, le- like, I would have this as Washington as being favored by a point or two. I don't know if that's enough to bet it, though, because, again, if we're between the threes, you know, who cares? Um, I have this as being over, like a blind over. Again, <laughs> It's, you know, I kind of like the over last week, though, on Thursday night. But I have this being like a blind over that you take at 38, almost, since we're in the modern era of football here um you know i might actually play that but it's you know i i i cannot begrudge anyone who wants to just pass on on this uh according to my adjusted score so far this year it's been an average 8.1 differential for the bears in the negative and it's been 2.2 for the commanders in the negative so the bears have been pretty bad they got a lot better last week though And if you look at the schedule so far year to date, the Bears have had the 15th hardest schedule, so middle of the pack, and the Commanders have been 18th hardest. So pretty similar. So the Commanders have definitely been a significantly better team so far this year, but they are on the road for this one on a short week, so that can play into everything here. Uh, Bears are second to last in offensive success rate. The Commanders are fourth to last in, in success rate. I don't know. I think the Commanders have had more big play potential here, as we saw with Danny Brown last week, Terry McLaurin. So there's more probably upside for some of that stuff, but it's something to think about. Now, in defense, total success rate defensively for the Commanders has actually been pretty good. Uh, It's fifth versus 23rd for the Bears. It's just, again, and we see this with the Browns, too. Year over year, these teams are not getting better at preventing third down conversions and big plays defensively, which is hurting them a lot. Maybe they can get some of that going. So another reason that I kind of would lean a little bit, commanders, on this one. Um, play so far this year, I mean, both quarterbacks now with Justin Fields had his best efficiency game of his career last year. So he's about flat in EPA per play, which is good for him. Um, he's at a 57 grade so far this year. Wentz also flat 64 grade. I mean, I think Wentz is the better quarterback in this one. Um depending upon what sort of stability you can you can have in those in those numbers, and I think they 're going to have a better chance of getting pressure so i 'm giving you more and more towards leading towards the commanders here, but again I, without it being at three, I think i 'd be more comfortable taking the over um but there is some some value there. It just depends on whether or not you think last week for fields with his highest efficiency game, one of his highest grading games of his career, was more of a fluke or not. I tend to believe it's a fluke because we've seen a longer track record of difficulty, especially with sacks, his you know, off-the-charge sack taking, that makes it hard to look at this particular game. I guess I'll make, I'll make the over a, a play here. We'll talk about it on Friday morning when we, when we review the game. So I'm going to say over 38. Hopefully that can be over early. Uh, sometime in the third quarter. Over 38, I'll make a play here. But I think that the commanders, if you wanted to you know, put them on the money line, something like that, that's another way that you could go on this particular game. Even if, you know, you got to plug your nose whenever we're talking about Carson Wentz and betting on him in anything. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to this Monday morning edition. We finally got a good Island game. So I appreciate you guys joining me here. Go ahead, click the thumbs up if you enjoyed what you heard. If you have any questions, concerns, um, additional context you want on the numbers that were being discussed here? Go ahead and hit me in the comments. I do tend to read those and reply to those that are sensical and are uh, asking some some good critical questions. There, I always appreciate uh, critical, good faith criticism. For there, uh, follow me on Twitter at Kevin Cole PFF if you want to see more of my numbers. Otherwise, I'll be talking to everyone this Friday to review that Thursday night game and then preview the week six action.